All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 132, Nehemiah 13. You know what that means, Kevin? What does that mean? Uh, we're wrapping up the book of Nehemiah. This is the second to last book in the historical books. I love this. I love this book. I love Mindy's painting. I love this story that the one word is builder. I love that we just talked about there was choirs, two choirs singing and dancing and praising and using instruments up on the walls. And I love that there was two of them. And they might have done their own thing, but by the end, they're at the temple. And I love that they, like, to me, it all points back to God. Like, everything at this point has built. It's an incredible story of God moving and bringing about, about revival. But now think about this. There's a crazy time period between Nehemiah 12 and Nehemiah 13. And in fact, in between chapters, Nehemiah returns to Persia. So for 12 years, as it says in Nehemiah 5, in fact, Kevin, it's Nehemiah 5.14, just so everybody has a time frame. It says, furthermore, from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of Judah. So he represented, yes, and was approved to be the governor in that land. He was there for 12 years. From the 20th year until his 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, Nehemiah ruled as the governor in the land of Judah. So, just so we have a, a visual here. So, Nehemiah 1 through 12. Okay, uh, that's a big generalization there. 12 years. It's kind of funny. That, that's what's kind of weird. It's 12 chapters, 12 years. But 12 years, Nehemiah, okay, ruled as governor of Judah. Okay? So, then you have what we would consider roughly a one-year period. Okay, give or take. And then you have Nehemiah 13. Okay, so the one-year period, what does Nehemiah do? He returns, okay? This helped me. I wrote this out. He returns to Persia. Why? Because, okay, this is where the king released him to come, right? Make sense? King releases him, and in verse, uh, in verse 1, just so you know, I'm already going to let all of it out of the bag. This is what Nelson's commentary says. On the day of his return, he saw devoted and dedicated people had tripped over the temptation, fallen into sin, and yes, laid down into disobedience. So he sees, and don't worry, we'll get into all of this today. He sees them give in to temptation. He sees them falling into sin. And he sees disobedience. You guys, just yesterday, what were we talking about? Music. <laughs> the walls, people walking around, they're praising God, they're thanking God. In one year, in one year, what I would consider one of the great men of God, Nehemiah, leaves, he comes back, they're a mess. Oh, well, I just want you to know that when there's a great move of God, it will always last, always sustain itself. You guys, I've never seen that. And in fact, the only time you see that 
is through Jesus' disciples that started right in the first century and through the work of the 12 disciples, it continued to go and it continued to spread. But as far as actually the work that consistently stayed and that they never fall, they never gave in to temptation, they never pulled away from God, you guys, that's never happened. We've never seen a permanent move of God ever. Is that a fair statement? And so I think for me, what happens is when people put these expectations on you, oh, why do we need revival? Why do, why do we have to go into this place? General William Booth, who founded Salvation Army. I love what he wrote. He said, young men, always bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. You must constantly keep it stirred and fed and you have to keep the ashes removed. You're always working on the fire to keep it going. Nehemiah comes back in Nehemiah 13 and he sees temptation, sin, and disobedience. And so what does he have to do? He needs to, I love what Wearsby says, he needs to see reformation take place. So we have built 12 chapters, building the wall, letting the enemies come against you, speaking against us, crying, praying, fasting, weeping, praising, and now it feels like you got to start all over. You might as well have gone back, honestly, you guys, which we don't have the paintings here, but back to the Pentateuch or back to the judges, I guess. The judges, they're always going through the cycle. This is the cycle. And so what you're going to see is, is a group of uh, subjects, a list of subjects that they have to, to, to go back through. And so in Nehemiah 13, 1, in fact, through the first three verses, you're going to see some hot topics, Okay. Things that they have completely forgotten about. One of them is foreigners. At that time, the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. The command was found written in that, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. And then it says in verse 2, because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water. This is the Moabites and the Ammonites. Instead, what, what did they want to do? Remember this? They hired Balaam against the Israelites to curse them. But our God turned the curse into a blessing. And then in verse 3, it says, When they heard the law, they separated all of those of mixed descent from Israel. So, Kevin, can you go to Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 and 4? So, remember, Scripture says, At that time, the book of Moses was read publicly. So, they're reading the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 and 4. Apparently, they got convicted. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the Lord's assembly. Whoops. None of their descendants, even to the 10th generation. So what started, what we talked about all the way back into the Pentateuch, it still has to continue on. May they ever enter the Lord's assembly. Whoops. Verse 4. This is because they did not meet you with food or water on the journey after you came out of Egypt. They didn't want to share. They wanted to keep the fruit snacks for themselves. They didn't want to give it to their buddies. They wanted everything for themselves. And because of that, Balaam, and yeah, I just referenced fruit snacks. And because Balaam, you know I have kids, son of Baor from Pathor and Aram Narharam was hired to curse you. So not only did they not share the food, they then said, be cursed. Now, here's what happens, you guys. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Kevin, if you'll go to even just verse 2, I mean, this is, this is crazy to me. In Deuteronomy 12, we know what's going to happen to these people. It says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. So Ammonites, Moabites, did they bless the Israelites? No. What's going to happen according to the Abrahamic covenant that God spoke to Abram? I will curse those who treat you with content and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So if they're going to be a blessing, I'll bless them. If you're not going to bless Israel, Scripture says you will be cursed. 
I mean, here you have the Ammonites and the Moabites. What are they not doing? They're not supporting the Israelites. True statement. They're not giving food. They're not giving water. That's what scripture says. But when you go to Matthew 25, I actually believe this is crazy. Uh, No, Jesus might not be specifically referencing this, but I know he knows what this is about. When the Son of Man, in verse 31, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now watch in verse 32. Let this unfold. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them from one another, just as a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. Verse 33. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, these will be the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's the blessing. For I was hungry, look at the qualifications, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Verse 38. When did we see a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? In verse 40, after the king will answer them, I assure you, look at this. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So brothers, I actually believe in verse 40, you guys, he's referencing. Think about this. He's referencing, yes, his people. When you take care of my people, you're taking care of of me. And so Matthew 25, here you have the sheep and the goat nations. I actually believe there's going to be a judgment that comes on the nations that do not support Israel. Those that don't feed, those that don't give water, those that don't take care of, those that don't align. This same, yes, truth applies with the Ammonites and the Moabites. They did not bless the Israelites. And guess what? A curse. And then in verse 41, then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you are cursed and into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then you, they too will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he'll answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And then it wraps up in verse 46, and they'll go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, I'm not implying workspace for salvation here. I just want to make sure everybody understands this. I am taking this principle of Matthew 25, and Jesus is clearly saying, I'm going to come back. I'm going to judge the nations based on how you've treated my brethren, the Israelites. That's what I'm basing it off of. And then guess what? There's a foreshadow that goes way back. There's a a time before the Ammonites, the Moabites, they didn't take care of the Israelites. Guess what? There's a curse. And I, I just think every time I go through this process, people don't really understand the importance of whether or not you bless or you curse Israel. And Matthew 25 is pretty clear. I wouldn't mess around with it. And guess what? When Nehemiah left, his own people started to dabble into the foreigners that Moses said, no, don't do that. Because those are the people group that are actually going to experience a curse. So when you begin to blend the curse and the blessing, I'm telling you, it actually doesn't work so well. And so that's what you're going to see in the first three verses. Nehemiah is coming back and it says in verse three, when they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. So what did they do? They obeyed the law. They actually began to reform back to what God originally had designed. Now in verses four through nine. Okay, now we're taking care of the uh, the temple. Okay. We're taking care of the temple. Earlier on, we're taking care of and talking about foreigners. In verses 4 through 9, it says, Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of 
Tobiah. Tobiah. Hello, this is Tobiah, uh, Sambalot, and Gershom. This is the, the bad guys. This is the guys that wanted Nehemiah to not rebuild, right? <laughs> now, Eliashib, the priest, is kind of confused because he's got a family member. And he, it says in verse 5, he had prepared a large room for him. So Eliashib, the priest, think about this. Nehemiah leaves to Persia. He leaves the priest, builds a room, a large room, prepares it for the enemy who says, don't build this. This is exactly where they stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tents of grain, new wine, oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, along with the contributions of the priests. <laughs> and while all this was happening, Scripture says in verse 6, I wasn't in Jerusalem. I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. It was only later that I asked the king for a leave, a leave of absence so I could return to Jerusalem. Then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. Okay, you got to pull back just for a second. This is the high priest allowing God's enemy to actually have an apartment <laughs> in God's house. In fact, I'm going to remove all of, all of the grain offering. I'm going to move everything out. Kevin, can you go to Nehemiah 2 verse 10? I just want to make sure everybody understands who's living in the temple. From the high priest. When Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that somebody had come to seek the well-being of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. In fact, verse 19 of Nehemiah 2 says this. When Sambalot the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against this the king? So Tobiah the Ammonite right? The Ammonite and Moabites, the ones that they weren't even supposed to mix. Now the high priest is saying, oh, you need a, a free place to stay? He's opening up the doors and saying, please, relative, come in. If, if that doesn't bother you, go, Kevin, can you go to Nehemiah 4.3? Tobiah is just, he's a jerk. He constantly is coming after Nehemiah. He doesn't want the wall to be rebuilt. In fact, he mocks the wall. This is a funny line to me. Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up on what they're building, he would break down their stone wall. So he doesn't even think that their building is going to actually stay there. And now he's living in it. In Nehemiah 6, Tobiah has all kinds of comments. 10, 11, and 12, or 17, and verse 19. And, and what do you know? Elishabab says, come on in. Nehemiah walks in in verse 8. Here we go. You ready for this? <laughs> He says, I was greatly displeased and I threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. Um, you know, what do you call this, this in these days? Eviction. Yeah, Tobiah got evicted. Now the constable Nehemiah now steps in, says, you don't, I don't care if you haven't paid your bills. What are you doing here? So I think he probably had to find favor. He is just chucking it out. Now, I just think it had to be so fun. And then in verse nine, what do you know? What, what, what do you know again? I ordered that the rooms be purified. So here's what, here's what some of the, this would have looked like. Nelson's commentary said there would have been washing. There would have been, um, uh, I have the word scouring. Like really, that, does that sound right? That sound right? It'd be like scrubbing. Yeah, like a scrubbing and then sprinkling with blood. Like we want to see this whole place cleansed from Tobiah's nastiness. <laughs> the evilness that he brought in, the things that he doesn't represent. He's an Ammonite. He doesn't worship Yahweh. And we got to have all this, this whole thing cleansed. And I had the articles of the house of God restored there along with the grain offering and 
frankincense. So Nehemiah is now, they're reading the word of the law. It's like start over 2.0. You know how frustrating it is when you pour into a city and you have to start over? Been there. It's hard, isn't it, you guys? When you pour into a city, you pour your heart out and then you go back and it's like, hello, did, did you forget everything about your excitement to go out and share the gospel or to go make disciples or to press in and pray? Or, this is the one that really gets me. You said you were unified in the spirit. And then you come back and it's just a mess. And I just think here in this process, sometimes you have to pull back and say, how can I clean house? You know, what we're doing in this church is not of the Lord. Let's clean house. What we're doing in my house, in this room, it's not of the Lord. We need to clean house. Nehemiah does that. I'm pretty sure when Nehemiah came back after a year-ish, he wasn't expecting the temptations, the sin, and the disobedience. I know, I know I wasn't. When I come back into cities, you're like, I have full expectations. And like, oh, they're, they're not even here anymore. And here's the crazy thing, you guys. Because of this, now watch in verse 10. I also found out that because the portions for the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites and the singers performing the service had gone back to his own field. So the Levites aren't even getting paid. The singers aren't even getting paid. So if they're not getting paid, Kevin, what do they have to go do? To go work. They got to go work. So now there has to be a revival of, of tithing. We got to teach everybody again, like what's yours is not yours, it's all his. And I got to have this, this mentality of like give it up in order for people to experience the Lord. And so you're just scratching your head saying, what has happened here? We're intermingling with the foreigners that God says, don't do this in the Mosaic law. And now you're, you're bringing in Tobiah, the enemy, the Ammonite, and he's coming in. And because of the storeroom, there's no storeroom because they've made it for something else. Guess what? They're not even bringing in tithes. So the Levites are like, man, I'm out of here. I'm going back to my own field. I need to, I need to eat. And therefore, verse 11, I rebuked the officials saying, why has the house of God been neglected? I gathered the Levites and the singers together and I stationed them at their post. Hey, did you hear Nehemiah's back? Everybody, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're coming back. Nehemiah brought hope, but as he brought hope, he spoke truth and he rebuked those that were against what the Lord was doing. In order to get right with the Lord, in order to get prepared that he's coming back, I'm willing to bet in my own life, I'm willing to bet in others' lives, there might be one little storeroom that you're just, you've given access to the enemy. You've allowed other things to come into your life. And I really believe the Lord would just say, why have you neglected the house of God? I'm not talking about a church building. We, we are the temple now, you guys. We are the temple of the Lord. Why have you neglected me? Scripture just continues on and, and it reveals that there is clearly a spiritual decline. In verse 12, what do you do? Then all of Judah, after they heard this, they got convicted from the Holy Spirit. They brought a tenth of the grain, new wine and oil into the storehouses. You know what that means? They filled them back up again. I, I always think that there should be nobody in the church in need. If there's a person, a member of the body of Christ, I'm serious. In Acts 2, it says, if you're functioning in unity, like they didn't have, their, the, all the needs were met. When you see the scriptures and you really want to do what God's asking you to do, you're not going to hold anything back. 
In verse 13, to make sure everything is in alignment, like this isn't some loose canon offering, I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pedadiah of the Levites, with Hanan son of Zachar, son of Mattaniah, to assist them, because they were considered trustworthy. You guys, somewhere there had been no accountability. So Nehemiah reinstates accountability in giving. They were responsible for the distribution to their colleagues, so that the Levites and the singers didn't have to go to their fields, they'd actually get paid. Verse 14, remember me for this, my God. Don't erase the deeds of faithful love that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. So here's what I love about Nehemiah. He has random prayers. Like he's consistently praying, right? Like I think we've learned that about Nehemiah. But in the middle of rebuking and appointing, we have a prayer. (laughs) This is kind of an interesting uh, concept here. But in Nelson's, it says this. Normally prayer is offered to the Lord before or during an event. In this context, Nehemiah's prayer followed his good deeds. Simple little observation uh, of what you see in verse 15, if you'll keep going there, Kevin. It says, at that time I saw people in Judah treading wine, presses on the Sabbath. Oh boy. You want to get Nehemiah going again? (laughs) Foreigners, uh, temple and now Sabbath. Here you have verses 15 through 22. I guess I didn't write down. I should have written down. Um, in regards to our Levite friends. They got left out, didn't they? I didn't write it down. Verses 10 through 14. And now we know on Sabbath, it says, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on Sabbath. Oh, oh, by the way, they're also bringing in stores of grain and loading them onto donkeys along with wine, grapes, and figs, and all kinds of goods are being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I warned them against selling food on that day. Verse 16, the the Tyrians living there, were importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Hey, 999 Jerusalem (laughs) t-shirts. Like what kind of merchandise are they selling? You know, like get your IDF hats. Selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And then here's a theme. In order to see reformation, what I do see in Nehemiah's life is I see a season of rebuke. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil you're doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Verse 18, didn't your ancestors do the same so that our God brought all of this disaster on us and on the city? Hello, you idiots, you're doing it again. I don't really want to go back. And now you're rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Man, in verse 19, here we go. (laughs) This is where close for business begins to take place. When shadows began to fall on the gates of Jerusalem just before the Sabbath, I gave orders that the gates must be closed and not open until after the Sabbath. In other words, Rich, you and I can't drive our car into Old City on Sabbath. I'm closing the gates. That's what Nehemiah did. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could enter during the Sabbath day. In other words, I'm closing the gates and just trying, you're trying to be sneaky. I'm going to put people there. Once or twice, the merchants and those who sell all kinds of goods camped outside Jerusalem. You know what that means? Vendors. Man, these guys are ruthless. But I warned them, why are you camping in front of the wall? If you do it again, I'll use force against you. In other words, I'll actually hurt you. He's going all, he's going all like, I'm going to just, I'm going to rip your head off. I'm going to do something. And after that, by the way, it says they didn't come again. They didn't come again on the Sabbath. So here you have Nehemiah. Hey, I'm coming back. We're going to have a reunion. Praise God. 12 years. I went to go hang out with, you know, the king of Persia. I'm back. And what the heck has happened? Who are these people, the foreigners? And why, why is he in the temple? And 
wait, what? The Levites and the singers, the ones that were singing on the wall, they're not even here. And then, oh, by the way, because of that, you're working because nobody's implementing anything. What a shock to Nehemiah's system. And what a way to end the book of Nehemiah. It says in verse 22, then I instructed the Levites, here we go again, to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and look on me with compassion in keeping with your abundant faithful love. Okay, you think, could it get any worse? I would be like, if I'm Nehemiah, I'd be like, drink, please. (laughs) I don't even drink. (laughs) Not on Sabbath, whatever. And in verse 23 through 31, you got another issue. Marriage. You're like, no, 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 please, please don't go down this road. I mean, have we not learned in all of this? But look, Nehemiah, he's going he's gonna to walk through this whole thing. And in those days, I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. So not only are you interacting with foreigners and inviting them into the temple, and now, by the way, you're, you're marrying them. Verse 24, it says this, Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. Oh, man. I rebuked them. Here's the theme again. You seen the theme here? I cursed them. And then I beat some of them. And I love this part. He pulled out their hair. Nehemiah is so mad. He just starts ripping out their hair. Ow! (laughs) I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Didn't King Solomon, didn't, he, didn't we learn from him of Israel's sin in matters like this? There was not like a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel. But look at this. Yet foreign women drew him into sin. Nehemiah just called out King Solomon in his sin. And he said, you're no better than that king. Why then should we hear about your doing all this terrible evil and acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? It had gotten so bad, he says in verse 28, even one of the sons of Jehoiada, son of Eliashib, oh, there's that guy again, of the high priest, had become a son-in-law to Sambalot the Horonite. Why not? Let's involve Sambalot and Tobiah. All these people that hated me, let's marry them and invite them into the temple. So what did I do with him? I kicked him out. Oh, I totally kicked him out. Oh, my Lord. Verse 29, remember then, my God, Remember them, my God, for defiling the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And so what happens in verse 30? That's the pattern. I rebuke them. I address the situation. I kick them out. And then I purify the situation. I purify them from everything foreign and assign specific duties to each of the priests and the Levites. Can I just go back really quick to the whole marrying thing of the foreigners? Here's why this was interesting, you guys. Half of them didn't speak Hebrew. So then if half of them didn't speak Hebrew, they couldn't learn the scriptures or the law which meant they probably didn't worship the Lord. Just when you start opening up the door for a temptation, all of this takes away. It takes your eyes off Yahweh. And Nehemiah knows this. So he says in verse 31, just to wrap up the book of Nehemiah, I also arranged for the donation of wood at the appointed times and for the fruit, fruit, first fruits. Remember me, my God, with favor. 
You know what this means to me? He says, guys, it's first fruits time. It's time to start giving up the best of the best to get right with the Lord. God used Nehemiah in a really special way. He built the city of Jerusalem. And I want to encourage you guys. He wants to do the same through every single one of us. He wants to use us as a part of, Kevin, if you'll go to the Matthew, uh, the text about uh, the builder, Matthew 16, I believe. Matthew 16, 18, it says, And I also say to you that you are, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. You guys, when we begin to function as, as, yes, the builders for the Lord, I actually believe we can actually withhold the forces, the enemies that are going to come against us. And the second that you forget who's the ultimate builder, you give in to the foreigners, the temple, you don't pay the Levites, you don't do the Sabbath, and you give in to a bad marriage. That's the book of Nehemiah, guys. I love it, and I love Nehemiah. But guess what? Tomorrow, we get to jump in with the last book of the historical books, the book of Esther. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. 